This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to African News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for Pan-African news and world developments. I'm Yehiya Swuhib in Washington. Coming up on African News Tonight... So Ghana and Mozambique are both on the Security Council right now, and uh, so she was visiting those two countries, and she also stopped in Kenya, which just finished a very successful two-year run on the Security Council. That's VOA UN correspondent Margaret Bashir summarizing U.S. Ambassador to the UN Linda Thomas-Greenfield's trip to Africa. Details coming up. Also, a UN report says 22 million people are at risk of hunger in the Horn of Africa. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken says Washington will continue to encourage Egypt to take steps on human rights. And gunmen in South Africa kill eight people at a birthday party. We'll have these stories and more on African News tonight. We start with our top story. The U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations, Linda Thomas-Greenfield, is the second cabinet member to visit Africa as part of President Joe Biden's big push to engage with the world's second largest continent. Thomas-Greenfield's trip follows last week's start of a 10-day African visit by Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. VOA's UN correspondent Margaret Bashir summarizes for me the ambassador's tour of Africa. Right, so she's wrapping up this tour of parts of Africa. She went to Ghana and Mozambique, Kenya, and she made an unannounced visit to Mogadishu in Somalia. And uh, basically, she's said that she's there following on this summit that President Biden hosted in December with leaders from Africa. So she actually announced some new humanitarian assistance when she was in Somalia, $40 million in new aid. You know, Somalia has had five failed rainy seasons and forecasts are not good for the spring. So there's really a lot of concern that famine may have been delayed in parts of that country, but not necessarily averted. So uh, the U.S. has already given $1.3 billion to Somalia in humanitarian assistance since last year, but they're adding to it. And they're encouraging other countries to step up, too, because nobody wants a repeat of the past past famines that we've seen there. One of the things the ambassador kind of stressed on was the European Union and European countries. Actually, they've so gravitated towards Ukraine, they have uh, lost focus on Africa because she said uh, uh, it was a kind of a, a ultimate failure of the international community. Well, the European Especially Union, especially on whole, Somalia. Okay, well, the European Union as a whole is uh, a pretty good multitasker, and they're really only only second behind the United States uh, at the UN in many. Uh, humanitarian events in Africa. So definitely economic issues are on the front burner. Climate change is a big concern. Refugee issues. So there's a lot going on and all of that needs funding. Anything else we missed here? I'd just like to mention that, um, you know, while Thomas Greenfield was in Africa, Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov was also on his second tour of Africa in recent months. Uh, He went to South Africa, which has been a good ally to Moscow. He went to Eritrea, which is one of the very few small handful of countries that has supported Russia in the UN General Assembly and votes regarding their invasion, um, condemning their invasion, but they've supported Mm -hmm. Russia. And he also visited Angola and Eswatini. So uh, there's a lot of 
efforts going on in the West and in Russia to try and keep uh, African nations engaged and to each, for each side to kind of explain their position to them uh, because the African nations have mostly tried to stay neutral on the Russian invasion of Ukraine and they haven't wanted to anger either Moscow or Washington because they have priorities and interests with both capitals. So it's interesting to see that both um, were in the region around the same time. And uh, China uh, surpassing the U.S. in trade and aiming to increase its military presence. China is looking to exploit uh, resources in Africa. They're there for their Belt and Road Initiative and such. But what kind of humanitarian work are they doing? It's really not uh, a lot. And so they're there for commercial interests, whereas I think the United States has a record of giving humanitarian assistance as well and really trying to help uh, people get through difficult times. The U.S. is also offering counterterrorism assistance. That came up during her visit to Ghana. Uh, you know, the, the violence in the Sahel has been seeping towards the Gulf of Guinea, and it's a big concern in West Africa. So that was addressed. Uh, she visited Mozambique. So Ghana and Mozambique are both on the Security Council right now, and uh, so she was visiting those two countries, and she also stopped in Kenya, which just finished a very successful two-year run on the Security Council. So part of that, I think, is to foster alliances with countries who are on the Council, uh, because there's lots of votes coming up this year. That was VOA's UN correspondent, Margaret Bashir. She talked with me from UN headquarters in New York. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken says Washington will continue to encourage Egypt to take steps on human rights, including freeing political prisoners. According to Reuters news service, after he met today with President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi, Blinken said Cairo has taken important strides in protecting religious freedoms, empowering women, and releasing some prisoners. Blinken said he wants to strengthen Washington's strategic partnership with Egypt. He said both have shared interests, including restoring a democratic transition in Sudan, ending the conflict in Libya, reducing of tensions between Israelis and Palestinians, and ending Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Blinken also will visit Israel and the West Bank. South Africa has declined an appeal from the European Union to try to persuade Russia to end its war in Ukraine. EU Vice President and Foreign Minister Joseph Borrell made the call on Friday at the end of the 15th South African-European Union ministerial meeting. Pretoria has a close relationship with Moscow, largely based on the former Soviet Union support for the now-governing African National Congress's fight against apartheid. South Africa is the continent's second-largest and most industrialized economy. It's the only African country to have membership in the powerful G20 bloc. It's one of the continent's strongest democracies and is a leading voice calling for Africa to have a permanent seat on the UN Security Council. South Africa is also a member of the BRICS bloc of the world's strongest emerging economies, a group that includes Russia. Borrell said the EU isn't asking any African country to choose between Russia and Ukraine, but to stand on the side of the UN Charter to uphold peace and security, which they'd signed. And the European Union regards South Africa as an important partner 
to uphold and to reinvigorate a rules-based international order. This is why I very much hope that South Africa will use its good relations with Russia to convince Russia to stop the senseless war. South Africa's Minister of International Relations, Naledi Pandor, responded that the world, not just her country, should work towards a negotiated outcome in the war in Eastern Europe. She suggested that the UN system, particularly its Security Council, should be reformed in order to have a global mechanism that has legitimacy to better handle complex global problems. We need to ensure as we reform the United Nations that all countries and all people's voices are heard and that multilateral bodies do not become a place for privilege but a place for promoting sovereign equality of all and not just some. Senior government officials later told VOA it was unfair of Borrell to expect South Africa to interfere. They described his appeal as unreasonable, saying it represented undue pressure on President Cyril Ramaphosa's administration. University of Pretoria international relations expert Professor Chris Isike agrees. It must not be pressured unnecessary beyond its abilities and its own interests also to do any of these things. However, I maintain that South Africa must show character, character of consistency, consistency with its principles and back its words with action. Isike says consistency and character are missing from South Africa's contradictory stance on the Ukraine war. It is a contradiction to say that South Africa is neutral, but then is planning to engage in military drills with Russia, deliberately timed by Russia to coincide with its invasion of Ukraine. He says Pretoria keeps on saying it wants peace and negotiation and respects the UN Charter, yet it will not condemn an attack on a sovereign nation. It's a contradiction to frown against the Western strategy of regime change, such as they did in Iraq or Libya, and then be silent about Russia's strategy of removing the current government in Kyiv. Isike says South Africa is telling the world it wants to be friends with everyone, but this isn't how real life works. Sometimes, he says, a country has to make enemies by taking principled positions to find out who its true friends are. For VOA News, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg. The United Nations says that the worst drought in four decades is putting 22 million people are at risk of hunger in the Horn of Africa. It says the affected areas range from southern Ethiopia to northern Somalia, where subsistence farmers and herders are experiencing their fifth consecutive poor rainy season. The World Food Program says 12 million people are acutely food insecure in Ethiopia, along with more than 5 million in Somalia and 4 million in Kenya, nearly doubling the overall number recorded a year ago. Nearly 2 million have been displaced by lack of water and pasture. Children are among the hardest hit, with nearly 2 million across the region needing urgent treatment for severe acute malnutrition. Almost Three million children have stopped going to school. 
The French news agency AFP says humanitarian groups warn that the situation is likely to worsen with the next rainy season from March to May also expected to be below average. You're listening to African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Independent observers say turnout was a little over 11% for the second round of Tunisia's parliamentary elections yesterday, similar to the figure for the first round last month. Opposition groups, including the large Islamist party Inahada, boycotted the vote. The Associated Press says the weak response could case, uh, cast doubt on the legislature's legitimacy and complicate President Kais Saeed's plans to win back investors, boost the economy, and reduce the country's 18% inflation rate. Many monitors reported a variety of violations yesterday, including the failure of some polling officials to allow observers access to data on turnout or the number of voters in their constituencies. The National Electoral Commission said it would address any problems it finds. The Pan-African Institute of Municipal Development is in Guinea-Bissau conducting its Good Governance Program, funded by the U.S. Embassy in Senegal, to provide practical and hands-on workforce training. Elizabeth Myers, chief legal advisor of the Institute, explained to VOA senior analyst Mohamed El Shanawi what the program entails and its impact on governance in African countries in the long run. The Good Governance Practice Program covers a number of different areas. This week, we've had a five-day program. Today is our last day, and it's both a combination of theory and concepts and discussion in the morning, and then a practicum in the afternoon. And so uh, we've covered topics such as shared valued leadership, citizen engagement, the crisis of democracy, both globally and in Africa. And we had 19 participants from uh, all over the place, actually, and not just in Bissau, Guinea-Bissau, but in some far-flung places as well. So it entails the conceptual part in the morning and the practicum in the afternoon is really where the participants are able to get their hands around the issues and to try and find the data by which to analyze those issues in the first place and then address what the people's needs are. So it's a very uh, practical way to identify issues in whether it's education or in health or in infrastructure, areas that need improvement and that need better governance and more resources allocated to them. And so we had a fabulous session this morning on our last day where the participants put together a presentation based upon their findings in each of these areas that they had either chosen or been assigned. And as you noted, the program is funded by the U.S. Embassy in Dakar. We were fortunate to have two of their representatives with us this morning to see the students in action, where they are proud of their country, they're recognizing areas that need improvement, and they're identifying ways to get the data that will allow them to move forward and help facilitate that improvement by both government and citizens. You said the program tackled the problem of democracy backsliding in Africa. How did you deal with it in the training program? 
we had two presentations on democracy and crisis. We started with my own presentation on democracy and crisis in the global context. And it was essentially an interactive engagement between me and the participants where I challenged them to think about the concepts of democracy and how they can be applied in their own country and with respect to their own history, and also in the more broader context of African colonization history, and even more recently, in terms of larger global interference, internal affairs. We had the former Ministry of Economy and Finance, the Honorable Geraldo Martins, and he gave a presentation on the crisis in Africa and some of the roots of the crises in various different countries and also potential solutions to those crises and with a focus on Guinea-Bissau's history. And so we've dealt with it both by lecture and also by interactive engagement, where we challenge the participants to critically think about the issue and challenge themselves to come up with potential solutions that are right for their citizenry and their country. So how would the Institute's good governance program benefit governance in African countries in the long run? In the long run, our program is designed to foster networks. The participants that we have were from all different walks of life here. We had economists, journalists, teachers, IT technologists, engineers, as well as people who are involved in their political parties and in politics. We had a former parliamentarian with us. And what this does is it creates a network for them that they can continue to use going forward. It also creates partnerships for PIMD, which we can leverage going forward to work with NGOs on the ground, to work with individuals, to work with civic associations that are working to improve their countries. And we think the potential there is incredibly great. That was Elizabeth Myers, Chief Legal Advisor of the Pan-African Institute of Municipal Development, speaking with VOA Senior Analyst Mohamed Al-Shinawi. VOA Africa would like to hear from you. Send us a text message or a voice note on WhatsApp 24-7. Simply dial the international code plus one, then 202-258-3076. We are always happy to hear from you. The number again is international code plus one, then 202-258-3076. Pope Francis will meet with several survivors of conflict in the Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo after his arrival Wednesday in Kinshasa. It's part of a five-day tour of the DRC and South Sudan, two countries suffering from years of violence and instability. According to the Catholic News Service, the pontiff will console victims of the war against M23 rebels in North Kivu province. The meeting will follow a, a mass at Ndolo Airport that's expected to attract up to a million people. The Pope's original itinerary included a day trip to the region for a mass, but it was dropped amid growing violence. Francis will emphasize peace and reconciliation in meetings with national leaders, young people, the poor, and women. Some hope he will announce African appointments to the Vatican. Catholic authorities say his visit is an acknowledgement of the DRC as the African nation with the most Catholics, close to 50 million faithful.
The Church says Africans represent 20% of its 1.3 billion global members. The DRC is also the country of Africa's first black bishop, Nzongo Mpemba, the son of the ruler of Congo, who was ordained in the early 1500s. The pontiff's five-day trip will also take him to South Sudan from Friday to Sunday on a pastoral visit and an ecumenical pilgrimage for peace. The International Federation of the Red Cross and Red Crescent Societies warns the world is dangerously unprepared for the next pandemic and this will have severe health, economic and social consequences for countries around the world. The IFRC has just released this year's World Disaster Report. Lisa Schlein reports from Geneva. In a marked departure from previous reports, the IFRC does not delve into the numerous natural disasters that caused untold devastation last year. It does not rank the severity of disasters such as earthquakes, floods, and drought in terms of deaths and the destruction of livelihoods and infrastructure. Instead, the report focuses on the global crisis unleashed by the COVID-19 pandemic, and on warnings of worse calamities to come if the global community does not prepare now for the next health crisis. IFRC Secretary General Jagan Chapagin says the authors of the report conclude the coronavirus pandemic has been the biggest disaster in our living memory by any measure. Uh, I think no other disasters, the hurricane, earthquake, drought or flood can compete in terms of the terrible human and socioeconomic cost. Of course, the, the most conservative estimates tell us that 6.5 million people died from COVID-19 across these three years. But we all know that the, the, the real number could be much, much higher. And the financial costs, he says, are staggering. He says the International Monetary Fund estimates the cost of the pandemic over the last three years to be 13.8 trillion dollars. He says the COVID-19 pandemic should be a wake-up call for the global community to prepare now for the next health crisis. He notes the World Health Organization and multiple epidemiologists have warned disease outbreaks are growing more frequent. He says these outbreaks are being driven by factors such as climate change, increased movement of goods and services, urbanization, as well as growing inequity. He says success in tackling future health crises depends upon building trust among world leaders within and between communities and countries. Without trust, life-saving pandemic countermeasures will not be accepted and implemented by the people who need them most. Preparedness will require equity. Our preparedness must include provisions for greater equity because public health emergencies both thrive on and aggravate existing inequities. Chapagin says community-based organizations are an integral part of pandemic preparedness and response. He says local actors and communities have important roles to play as frontline responders in all phases of disease outbreak management. He notes IFRC staff and its global network of volunteers have reached more than 1.1 billion people over the past three years and helped to keep them safe from the virus. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. 
And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. For all the latest development on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Mokbilia Barrow, and our engineer, Al Santos, thanks for choosing the Voice of America. Maxwell, host of Music Time in Africa. Join me every Saturday and Sunday for an hour of awesome African music. Like to stay on top of new music trends? Breakout artists? New releases? Maybe you just love the classic styles and artists of the past. Or simply the sound and feel of a good beat. Whatever your pleasure, you can get it every week right here on Music Time in Africa. So join me on your local FM stations.